This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Another episode of That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa. Hello. And I'm Kara. And we cover SVU episodes. We recap them. We talk about the true crime they're based on. And then we usually interview a fabulous guest from the episode, which we will be getting in the works very soon now that the strike is over. Um, We'll be getting guests back into the rotation. And... Can't wait. Until then, we chat. Yeah. I'm really excited. I guess we should start um, talking about horror movies and Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Is that <laughs> is that going to be timely doing the and same perfect? Intro from the past month. <laughs> over yeah. and over and over again. No, I actually have something to say. My tattoo is healing worse than any tattoo I've ever. Oh my god gotten in my life. I am pissed. It still hurts five days after. It shouldn't be hurting like this. It is the thickest scabbing. And dry, it's just like, it's like nothing else I've ever experienced. Oh my gosh. I emailed the tattoo shop. Obviously, it's too early for them. And then I messaged our friend Alyssa because she's tatted and she sent it to her tattoo artist. But like, yeah, that's, (sighs) I guess my question is like, is that an indication of the tattoo artist when that kind of thing happens? Um, I think he overworked the skin. I do. I think by the end, every time he rubbed, like it's a small tattoo and I did think it took a little longer than it. It bled more than I usually do. I should have, now looking back, I should have taken another skinoderm. I should have let it breathe a little bit. Like, I don't know, but I've had those issues with other tattoos. Like, I just have probably over 20 at this point. And... It's nothing has ever looked this thick. I mean, sorry to be gross to everyone. Uh, just starting off your day with some thick scabbing. Well, because um, it hurts. And but the, but the tattoo artist who got back to me was like, it's just really angry. You know, I don't think it's infected. I've been online. You know, it's. I just think it's going to be a longer road than I would anticipate. And I think it's also because it's in a place where I'm wearing clothes and maybe hugging the pillows. Like, right. it might just be like that, but it's just, it's Tweety. So Tweety looks scary. <laughs> <laughs> Tweety is thickly shedding in a way that is not peeling. It's supposed to like peel, like a thin layer of peeling. This is thick, 
scab. So yeah, instead of sweetie tweety, it's like meaty tweety. Like we're not loving this. Like Frankenstein. Yeah. Like Frankenstein. And so it's just like I, I, it's not what I want when I have to fly home. I, you know, yeah. I'm going to be wearing sleeves. It's just like, fuck. No, Ugh. I think it was. I think it was the art. I think he overworked it. I do. I think um, he went in too much with the color and like went a little too rough. Oh. I think he was, um, lack, I don't know. Um, but I know that I'm only going to go to people I've gone to before. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I usually also go to random people. I know a lot of people are like, you know, they research, they find real people, they save up. It's a big event. I'm a real last minute girl. So I've also dropped into shops all the time, all over the world and nothing like this. Wow, wow, wow. Well, nothing like this. I'm wishing you quick healing and- Well, not quick at all. It's, I think it's going to be the longest that- I hope it like magically starts to heal better. Um, Yeah. Well, another great news. I'm really having a, like, I'm already in world eight for Mario. Like (laughs) I am, I got all the way to Bowser and lost, but like to get to the final Bowser, a childhood me would have never imagined. Never imagined. Even when I was watching the YouTubes of certain levels, I was like, I will never be able to pass this. Like, this is insane. And now I'm like, Am I at Bowser's castle? Like, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. I feel like I beat a game once when I was a kid, but I don't know which one it was. Like, I remember facing off against Bowser at the end, but it was regular NES, like probably just like Mario One. Like, but yeah, I but if you went to the eighth world, because there is a Bowser at the end of every world. No, no, I think it was like we beat the game. Like my brother and I like tag teamed wow. and worked on it together. Wow. I remember. I just don't know how it would be so cloudy. Like, you don't remember losing your shit? (laughs) Like, that was like a memory. Maybe I, like, watched him do it, but, like, I feel like we worked on it together and, like, beat... Uh, beat one of the Mario games. But it would it would have only been that one. That's like the only one we ever worked that hard on. Oh God, I don't know. I'm but just I'm like, not starting, but I, I have like it saved at a certain point. So I just go to these levels and I'm practicing and going through yeah. it. I'm like keeping my arsenal of supplies till the end. Cause that's my big, you know, I think I've already told you about this. Whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. I know I'm, I'm really happy but for But once you. I feel ready, I'm going to do the full the full journey and I can't Wow, <laughs> at once? Yeah, and just like really see if I can like fully beat the game in one sit, like like kind of like um, the children did in the 80s. Who knows? The Switch has really changed your life. Okay, I went and I saw Mariah Carey in concert at the oh Hollywood my Bowl God. on Friday. And like, I guess I just like didn't realize how Christmassy it was going to be. And it was so awesome. It was so magical. Like you just walked in and it was like snowflakes and like jingle bells and like really, really fun. We had fine seats, not like amazing, not terrible. And she was so different than when I saw her last time. Like, I think I may have talked here about how I was going. And like, I saw her five or six years ago with Lionel Richie. And she did like 40 minutes up top. She barely walked. She did not take a step on the stage that was unassisted. She was lifted up by beefy men or carried or like pushed across the stage in a throne. It just all felt very kind of like lazy. You know, she was just like showing up and was like whatever and sang a few songs, like never finished a song and like whatever. She was strutting around. I don't know if she's on Ozempic or what. She looks amazing. 
strutting around the stage, not a person helping her. I, I was like, look at her walking unassisted. I can't believe this. And then like her kids are out there with her. They're like part of the show. Like when I saw her five years ago, she brought them out and I was like, oh my God, this must be so crazy because she just brought them out and they just saw thousands of flashlights like and people screaming for them. And now they're like part of the show. Like it looks like an old Navy ad, like a lot of it because it's just like her and her kids like doing fun stuff. And then... At one point, like my friend Liz, who had come up to visit me and to go to the concert with me was like, I don't know if she's going to do anything non-Christmas. And then at this part of the show, she goes, you know, some people were wondering if I was going to do any non-Christmas songs. And I was like, yes! <laughs> like she did a ton of hits and it was... Whoa, I'm shocked. She what did, did she do? Always Be My Baby. She did We Belong Together. She did... Um, oh my God. Like... I think it was... Was there a fantasy, Heartbreaker, Shake It I, Off? I think she did Dream... She didn't do Shake It Off. I think she did Heart Fantasy. God, now I'm like, why don't I remember the set list exactly? But it was just really fun. And she sounded amazing. Like, she sounded like she does in recordings, which was making me wonder if she was really singing. But my friend Liz kept going, she's a diva. Of course she's really singing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's just like, you know, I've seen- I love uh, that rationale. She's a diva. Of yeah, course she's And singing. I was just like, no, I mean, it's not weird for her to sing with a backing track. I mean, she sounds just like the recordings and that's kind of rare. You don't like see- you know, performers not... Well, it's also not been the track record. Yeah, like She has lip-synced. Mateo famously go. He's gone to this Christmas show, I think, every year for many, many years. And one time he did, like, a red carpet, like, holiday thing. And I went and just saw her do, like, um, just the hit. And she was not singing. Yeah. And so <laughs> for people to be like, is she singing? Is she not? It's, you know, it's like the history of it, too. Yeah. And I didn't really care either way. I just said, I wonder if she's singing. And my friend was, like, offended. She was like, of course she's singing. I was like, but it sounds so much. Like, I went to go see Lauren Hill do, and she did like a lot of the miseducation. It was the 20th anniversary of miseducation. She is riffing. She's doing different versions of it. Like Mariah just sounded like the studio records. But everyone was having the best time. Everybody like, like light up jingle bell hats and shit. Like every, it was just fun and like Christmassy. And like there were a bunch of like funny old gay men behind us that were having a time. And we just kept turning around and being like laughing with them. And I just had a good time. It was great. Was there confetti? No. Maybe there was down by her, but no, not, not, no, not like, not, not a, a confetti big confetti moment. thing. No. <laughs> but you know, the projections were like snowflakes. It looked like snow and like, Oh my gosh. And like, she did a bunch of outfit changes. She looked gorgeous. Like she had hot dancers. Like it was great. That's it was amazing. a great show. And she, they said, uh, KTLA told me she was going to show up at 8.30. She was on that stage at 8.30. I was still getting a drink. I was like, she might be a little bit late because I've been places. I was at Foxwoods Casino one time gambling, just talking to these old ladies. They go, we're here to see Mariah, but it's been two hours and she's not on the stage yet. And they were just playing slots because like she's notoriously late, but she's... She's got it together for this tour and she's really doing it. And she looks great. She sounds great. And she's on time. And that's my review. Yeah, the queen of Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. A, that's nice. I didn't do much. I did I did watch the movie Casino. Which, which I've never I, seen. Okay, so I famously saw it in the movie theater with my parents <laughs> on a Friday night in a packed theater. And it watching it now, I can't imagine what the people around my parents were thinking. Well, how old were you? A child. Hold on. <laughs> Let me see when this came out. 
1995. I was born in 87. So I was eight years old. Oh my God. I was eight years old in the casino theater. I mean, I... I I do like a joke about this and like I was like oh, how funny I saw Casino as a kid and I'm like this fucks me up for sure. There's no way this did not fuck me up. There oh my is God. so much blood, violence, cutting off fingers, stabbings, <gasps> burying people alive after beating them. To like as they're like you see them breathing as sand is covering their bot like bodies. Was the was were any memories like flooding back from like oh yeah I remember watching this when I was eight like well I do a bit about this and I do reference like you know the guy that gets buried alive and so I had a distant memory of that and like people coming out of trunks you know what I mean like I do remember like trunks opening up I remember Sharon Stone she's like a horrific drug addict like it like so much death destruction mobs it was it's, it's really bloody it's really wild oh my god yeah, but I also famously did take my niece and nephews to see Keanu in the movie theater um, which <laughs> Did have a but lot. But the tone of that is a lot more goofy. Like, even though there's some violence, it's, like, goofy. Like, yeah. Casino is, like, do people do this? Do people bury each other alive? <laughs> like, I don't know. I could see that being really, really... I'm trying to think, like, my parents were really so strict. Like, we didn't go out to movies that much as a family because, you know, like, taking eight people to the movies is untenable. But I went. remember just, like, seeing ghost in the theater with my mom. And I was probably 12, but still like during the pottery scene, she was like, close your eyes. But are they just doing pottery or are they Yeah, fucking? but it's like sexual. And like, I think she was like, but she was like kidding. But you know, I can't even remember a time that I went to a movie with my parents where I was like, this was a mistake because we barely went to go see anything. Well, we went every week. That was our thing. But... They always took me to fucked up stuff, but it wasn't always so packed. Yeah. I think this was the first show. Because we also went to the cheap movie theater where it was a little delayed movies. Like, they had been out for a few months already. And so, but we went every week. And maybe it was because it was opening night at that theater. Like, it, every seat was filled. Like, I oh was being, God. like, I just, like, felt self-conscious. Because also, like they would bring cans. And I feel like opening a can in a packed theater is a sound that haunts me. Oh, I used to do that. And you have to go like, achoo! And like, try to like make a noise while you're doing it. That's what we Well, yeah. Do. My dad didn't give a shit. So he just <laughs> opened it. <laughs> he saw nothing wrong with it. Guzzled um, like a warm ginger ale, burped, went, <laughs> But that they weren't at all like, we should get, I might even ask them this on Thanksgiving. Like, I just don't understand their point of view. And I wonder if it's because they had such, um, like, wild upbringings in a way. You mean for bringing you or for bringing in the sodas? For then not for leaving. No. <laughs> Once, like, there's so much blood shooting people, you know, stabbings, yeah. like, you would think you'd be like, let's get out of here. I just Or let's talk about it later and be like, this is crazy. There was just never... No conversation. About any of it. That's not even the craziest movie I watched. I had no supervision at all in any capacity. Well, I think also because like your, your sister's older, like maybe they just kind of like forgot how old you were most of the time. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe they just were like, she's fine. I don't know. Like, I you should ask them about it at Thanksgiving. I'd love to hear the report back. I mean, I saw Pulp Fiction in the theater with my friend at too young of an age, I think. But that was my own doing. My parents yeah, didn't Yeah, but me. did you... But that movie is so fucking good. But I was in eighth grade and I had like never seen somebody like get 
Eighth grade is fine. Eighth grade, you're Dude, in junior high. I was traumatized by it. Like, just like the gimp and all that stuff. Oh, I was, like, I was what's about happening? to say. I don't know if it is it gimp or simp. We it, we've this, had this conversation before. Like so many times. <laughs> but that sounds like a limp, you know? Like, it sounds different. But, like, the whole thing is bring out the gimp. The gimp's sleeping. Casey, am I right <laughs> here? You're the cinephile. It just sounds like a slur. You know what I mean? I like know. to me, I'm like, what the fuck did you just say to me? Like it doesn't sound polite. Well, the other thing is that we used to like, you know, the like wiry like um thread that you use to make bracelets at camp that's like plasticky. We called that gimp. Well, I'm on, oh, I guess. <laughs> Urban Dictionary actually has Pulp Fiction in it. One, it is a derogatory term for someone that is disabled and has a medical problem that results in physical impairment. So I did not make that up. You didn't make that up, no. Oh, you all looked at me like I was nuts where I was like, it just seems like a slur and not a nice thing No, it does, but like I also know it as this like plastic thread, which by the way, has (laughs) its own Wikipedia page. I'm chatting it to you right now. So then it's, (laughs) or it's an insult implying that someone's incompetent, stupid, et cetera, or to imply someone's uncool. I don't think I would use that. And then three, a sex slave or submissive, usually male, as popularized by the movie (laughs) Pulp Fiction. Yeah. (laughs) But like then the example is look at that gimp in the wheelchair. And it's like, I don't think we got to come up with a different name for a submissive sex slave. Yeah. It can't be so close to something that's like a slur, basically. Not close. The exact same word. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I know. But like... It just has... I mean, Quentin Tarantino doesn't... Okay, let me do Simp Urban Dictionary. What does that mean? Simp is like somebody who's like kissing your ass. Like you're simping for someone, right? Like aren't you... Like if I simp for you for like... Well, that's why I thought it meant that. Yeah, it means a man who puts the hose before the bros. So... But that's... Because I thought like simp is like a cuck. And so that's why I thought it was in the sexual realm of submissives. I thought it was all a thing, but I guess it's all different. Well, let me see these necklaces you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, like, this, like, it's like at summer camp, we would make, like, and if you look online, it's like you could see a gimp keychain or whatever, and it's like, (laughs) it's just, it's wild. It's just, oh, I've never seen, how is it, okay, pretty thread. I guess they also call it lanyard or something. Like, oh other- yeah, I grew up calling it lanyard. Lanyard. We call it gimp. I don't know why. Okay, yeah. For us, it was like lanyard. Yeah. <laughs> we also someone made us fusion beads. A sign that says "done done." I loved fusion beads. Is that yes. what they were called? Those were like my fucking favorite thing ever. Where you iron and make them, yeah. Into cool shapes and like a heart. Oh, I fucking love them. I really want to... I actually got... My friend had surgery and so she had to stay in. And I got her a big... um, per. Oh, it's Perler Bead too. Like got the... Oh, Perler Bead. Okay. I got her a bunch because I thought she could do it in the home. Whatever. Wow, this crafting section of the of the pod has really popped off. It's I mean, been unhinged, an unhinged intro for sure. We also did go to a fun party. the The food was delicious. Yeah, I mean, I got kind of the last of the vegetarian food, and I was like waiting for there to be another tray of it, but I was late, so it's my own damn fault. But the food was really good, and then there was assorted donuts for dessert, and which were, which were fine. Yeah, 
Nothing blew me away. I've had better donuts in our neighborhood constantly. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry to slam this millionaire's house that we were at, but (laughs) I'm saying. Yeah, but it was a fun, it was a fun party. Saw some old faces, some new faces. I met a a famous- Some kind of famous face. It was like, everyone was kind of famous. I met this famous YouTuber who I was like, oh, I worked on the Streamy Awards when you were the host and I wrote that song you had to sing. And she was like, oh my God, totally. Like, it was so crazy. I was like, I can't believe I'm like, I never met her like on that. Like I was in the room when she was rehearsing it, but they were never like, here's the person who wrote the good as hell parody song that you did, you know? Like- it is wild. There, it's like you could just be really famous, and I mean, this isn't a new concept. It's just very niche. It's more niche now. The monoculture is dead. Yeah, yeah. Which, well, there were people that were like tagged in photos the next day that I had like seen at the party and was like, "Who is that?" And then you click, and it's like they have half a million followers because they're huge on TikTok or something. I just don't know who everybody is. Well, this is the thing because I feel like Taylor is so monoculture, but I'll be like, "Who cares about it?" At my stand-up shows, and people do not clap. There's like six people will clap or four people. No, I was telling my friend Liz about some Travis and Taylor stuff because you've truly invaded my brain because I used to be an I don't care person. And now I'm like, I don't know, is it real? Like, you know, and... um. And she was like, oh, I didn't know any of this. I go, you didn't see the kiss? Like, I was like, I couldn't believe she didn't know, like, any of it. <laughs> like, I was the you in the conversation, and it was really funny. But yeah, there is no monoculture anymore. Um, everybody is, I mean, we're an example of it. We're a podcast about a very specific television show that you can listen to. Though some people don't even watch the show and listen to us. But, you know, everybody's peeling off to their exact, you can get something in your exact interest anywhere you turn. Yeah, because now that I don't have Instagram, I've been like on TikTok and I'm like, who is this woman and why am I listening to her? She needs to get away from me. (laughs) Actually, wait, I have one more thing before we start. Um, We are on tour, babies. We have a few more shows left in December and we really want to see you guys there. We're going to be in Sacramento on December 13th. We're going to be in New York City at City Winery on the 16th and a second show does still have tickets available to the nine o'clock show. Let's pack that show out so that it's just as fun as the sold out 6 p.m. show, guys. And then Philly, we'll see your little butts on the 17th. And then uh, in the new year, we're kicking off uh, in Seattle at the Wet City Comedy Festival on January 7th. Lisa will be there on the 6th. I think you can buy passes for the whole festival, but we also have tickets to just our show on the website, which is that's messeduplive.com. Please go there to check all locations and get tickets. And yes, don't just Google our tickets. Some people write us and they go, is this how much the tickets are? And they're, they show me a screenshot of their cart that has like $100 tickets in it. That's Those are scam sites. Don't get scammed. Go to that'smessedupplive.com and that's where we have all the legit links to our shows. We've been talking too long and we must start. Um, so get excited. Get into get the episode. A, start a GIMP bracelet and get ready for another great episode of podcasting. Okay. I am so excited to do today's episode. It's Surveillance. It's season three, episode 18. And Lisa kept going, you know, it's the one with Emily Deschanel. And I'm like, yeah, she's a cello player. But this one had truly left my mind. Like little bits and bobs of it was like, I've seen this, I've seen this, but this is not a one that I've seen a ton of times. And so I got the thrill of like it feeling like a new episode to me, you know? That is very thrilling. But also through this, I did some digging and the Deschanel's are Nepo's. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about it. 
<laughs> oh, I didn't know. Oh, I, I knew they know. were nepos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I they didn't. I also thought that, like, Zoe was so much more famous and successful, but Emily got bones in 2005. Like, they've both really been in the... I mean, Zoe is more, like, famous, but they're both very successful. Yeah. Well, I'll just get into it now. This episode stars Emily Deschanel. She's the sister of Zoe Deschanel. She is the lead actor from Bones, which uh, I love to say like that. Shout out to Greg Johnson, who does a great joke about how the voiceover for that show was always like, next up on Bones. They are classic Nepo. I kind of always think when they're siblings that get famous, they're Nepos. Like, what are the chances of both of you being so successful. I mean, I don't know. We talked to Kimberly Williams and Ashley Williams. They both got into it kind of like not being Nepos, but like- Wait, what the about Maras. the um, the blondes? The Fannings, are they Nepos? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. The Fannings feel like they got to come from something. I don't know. Maybe that's just me like profiling white blonde people, but- Oh no, the L Fanning's considered a Nepo because her sister is Dakota, but oh, they might- okay. Dakota busted in and then Elle followed. I don't know. Maybe that's just like, I just feel like Rooney and Kate Mara, like all these different the, the siblings, Nepos, I feel like. Oh, the, the, the Halls, like the yeah. Estevezes, you know, like all kinds of people. Anyway, so um, their dad, if you want to know why they're Nepos, their mom was an actor and their dad is a cinematographer. And uh, like Emily a, Deschanel- Like a long DP cinematography yeah. career. Like, yeah in there, really killing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's one of the jobs where if you're not in the industry, you might not even understand or know like how vital it is. Because I don't think I knew. Oh, I mean, I think cinematographers are like the most important person kind of, which I've only realized from like being, yeah, like a little closer to the biz. Oh, see, I never thought it when I first heard of what it's because I remember my friend dated someone in high school who I hated who wanted to be a cinematographer. I'm like, that's not even a real job. The director does it. I'm like, you're an idiot. And he's like, you're an idiot. And I was the idiot. And then you <laughs> see cinematographers and DPs in action, and it's like they're so important. They're it's like it's magic. So important. They make yeah, the movies look totally. beautiful and set up the shots in a way that I thought the director got all the credit for, you know? Yeah. But it is uh, a collaboration. I think all the good stuff is like when DPs and cinematographers and directors have worked together before and like have a rapport, like that's all the good shit you see. But you're right. Like I can't name other cinematographers, like even though there's they're so important. Well, I worked with one on King of Staten Island that is so important and he made such an impact on me. Could not remember his name for the life of me. He has an Oscar. <laughs> did, <laughs> he did There Will Be Blood. I'm like, the most important man. Oh my no God. Clue. <laughs> so even, the, but on survival, the, the woman who is the DP, like what I was impressed with was the attention to detail. Like there would be one thing of tinsel hanging from the ceiling and she's like, rip off that one piece of tinsel. It's a fucking my shot. And it'd be like, what the fuck? Like, I don't yeah. you know. It was, it's just impressive. Um, but yeah, they're Nepos. And I just learned that today. Humiliating. We should have yes. known. We should have known. Yeah. No, I feel like I always knew that they were Nepos. And Zoe is obviously a singer, actor, whatever, and has mar is now married to one of the Property Brothers. Emily is married to an actor from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia named David Hornsby. So their children will continue to be Nepos. Um, and she seems like she has a more chill vibe than Zoe. But I mean, what the fuck do I know? She also went to all the... to two of the very fancy private schools that are here in LA. So, you know, they 
were probably always knew they were going to be in this biz. So the well, episode that's what opens. Meg Salter always says. She goes, "Well, my children are going to be nepos, so I have to be okay <laughs> with it." <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I guess my kids are comedy nepos. I don't know if that's going to do anything for them. But we open on this episode with Emily Deschanel making out with a man and. Older movies and TV from like a little, I feel like we're moving away from like loud, sloppy kissing noises in movies and television because my misophonia really hates that. But when you watch old stuff and you see people making out in old movies, it's always such loud slapping noises. But anyway, she's like, you want to come up? And he's like, I've got an early morning and after last night, I better rest. So I don't know, maybe they had a fuck fest last night. Who knows? He kisses her hand, but her hair is covering it. So it does look like he's just kissing a chunk of her hair. And, um... She's entering the apartment now and she, like so many of us, just leaves the door open right behind her for a second while she drops her keys and a man rushes in from behind her and attacks her, hits her, knocks her out, then pulls out a knife, cuts a huge chunk of her hair, her recently kissed hair off and dun-dun, you know, not good. We cut to the crime scene. Evidence numbers are on the ground. There's blood on the carpet. We find out that this girl's name is Cassie Germain. She's a cellist with the Manhattan Symphony. Her boyfriend dropped her off after a date, and then a perp jumped her, tore her dress. It looks like rape, but there were no witnesses. She's in the bedroom, and according to this cop, the guy did a number on her. So Benson and Stabler rush back to the bedroom to talk to her. Cassie's telling them what's up while an EMT examines her. She's like, look, I blacked out. When I woke up, I was bleeding. He shredded my clothes. He cut my hair. He didn't say anything. And then the, e the EMT goes, mind if I show them? He doesn't even really wait for her to answer and just like opens up the blanket that's around her shoulders. And we see that she has the word whore written in bloody caps across her chest. So we've seen branding before on this show. This might, I don't know when they first started, but this is an early season. So they do love to do this and this, uh, you know, send messages on people's skin. Well, what city were we in? I think we were in Toronto, right? Where the actress from the episode Zebras who had Guilty written on oh, her forehead yes. was in the audience. Yes, <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, yeah. That was very exciting. That was so great. And in Toronto, we met the sister of the guy who plays the foreman in Beef. Oh my God. Yes, the guy that's who, what it was. The guy who punches Olivia in the face while she's dressed as a Russian cleaner. So was Guilty in Atlanta then? Yeah. Yes. We met her in Atlanta. Wait, since we are just mentioning tour stuff, I do want to give a shout out. Craig's Cookies in Toronto, whoever gave us the Nibs Cookies, changed my life. Killer. Killer. And Cleveland, Susan, S-U-Z-I-N-L, chocolatiers, chocolate-covered Fritos, one of the best things Kara and I both ate to the point where I was about to say it out loud and then Kara goes, I think this is the best thing I've ever eaten. And I was like, that's what I was just about yeah. to say. The chocolate-covered Fritos, were, I was like, these are the best thing I've like ever put in my mouth. Just salty, sweet, crunchy, all together. And many people have written me telling me that Trader Joe's like chocolate clusters or something like that or crunchy clusters might give me the same satisfaction. So I will be looking out for those. I'm a Trader Joe's nut and I've never seen those. So I hope they're not like well, foreign to California. No, but I've seen online, like, you know, people were really into like some fried pickle hot dog thing. And it kept selling out. Like when Trader Joe's has a new fun item or those yeah. peppermint cones, like it seems like you have to get there at Monday at 9 a.m. or you're yes. out of luck. <laughs> and yes. so that might be one of the popular items that you peppermint have to really Jojo's. fight for. I love a peppermint Jojo. Oh my God, those go quick. 
If you Those find one, quick. let me try one because I love yes. peppermint. Ooh. Wait, so this, it's expensive, but at Sip and Snack, we live by a bougie bodega. They have like McSweeney, McSwirlies. I don't know. Both are wrong, but they have a pint of ice cream that's $12, which is a lot. But I bought the peppermint stick flavor once and it's, it's pink. It's the best ice cream. It was to die for. Maybe no, you we know, should do that one day. Stick ice cream is what we had on parents weekend at camp. When the parents come show weekend, there's peppermint stick ice cream. That's like the only time you get it the whole summer. And it's like my favorite ice cream. And you just don't find it in a lot of places. Well, it's right near our house. It's just Thank unfortunately God. $12. Yeah. Well, I'm going to treat myself one of these but days. But when I dug in, I understood the price. I would say that. Yeah. I think it's overpriced, but I was like, this is delicious. <laughs> Everything at Sip and Snack is wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you go in there being like, I'll just grab a candy bar. And it's like cacao nibs. Like it's very, but whatever. Uh, if you live in Los Angeles, go there. It's it's really cute if you're looking for fancy snacks. I've been talking about the chocolate covered Fritos to everyone I can get it face to face. And <laughs> everyone always asks milk or dark chocolate. And I go, they asked us what we liked and we said milk. And then everyone looks at me with disgust. And I'm like, fuck you. I'm no. done pretending dark chocolate is good. It's bitter. If I want something bitter, I'll fucking eat celery. Like, get the fuck away from me. Yeah. I want milk chocolate. No, I think it's so good. And it's so, every, everybody acting like milk chocolate has not raised us is crazy. Uh, it's, it's so good. It's sweet. I just can't do it. Then don't eat candy, you fucking yeah. grinch. Yeah, I love sweet. Look at Casey. Casey loves dark. Yeah, what do you what like, is, Casey? What do you like? Do you like dark chocolate? What are you eating, Casey? I am milk chocolate all the way. I don't know when dark chocolate took over the universe. It's really a pandemic and I hate it. Yeah, I'm all, you. I'm milk chocolate all the way. Yeah, thank you for speaking out and speaking up and being on the right side of chocolate history with us because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, whatever. I understand if you are being health conscious and you're trying to limit your sweets and you go, I just have a little dark chocolate to feed my, feed my, feed the beast at night. Sure. Sure. But be honest. You don't like but it. But to act like, to act like milk chocolate is disgusting is so crazy to me. I think it's so good. And I Every know Brits friend. hate our chocolate over here. We have a lot of UK listeners. I know you hate all of our chocolate over here anyway, but look, this is what we were raised on and this is what we eat. And I love it. That chocolate from that chocolatier in Cleveland was delicious. We ate chocolate covered Oreos. We were eating all the chocolate covered stuff they gave us and it was so freaking good. Yeah, Kara, but you flew back home and left me with the box of chocolates <laughs> that I then continued to eat the whole week. And I was, I was supposed to be a host gift. Like I was going to, with my friends. I, know, I, was, I was like, like, give it to our friends. <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm staying. Do you want some candy? And then I had probably four to five chocolates a day. It was just <laughs> so good. Um, a little but, bit of dark chocolate, I guess, on like a chocolate covered strawberry, maybe I can do. But like, I'm really just not, it's, I'm a, like, I don't like it. The dark chocolate. It's not for me. Um, no, but anyway. Right. On a strawberry, that is, some, in yeah. some situations, I'll do it, but it's not like I'm milk. I'm a milk girl. So anyway, Benson rides along with Cassie to the hospital while Stabler chills at the crime scene. And it's CSU tech is like, I got something. There's a smash lamp on the ground that happened during the struggle, but the tech has found a tiny hidden camera inside of it. Dun, dun. Who is bugging this woman's house? Stabler goes, oh, so somebody could have watched the whole attack. And the guy goes, no, they still are. The camera is live. And we see the POV of the video and Stabler and the tech are in black and white, like staring into the lens. 
And that's when we hit the credits. So top of act one, Munch is now at the apartment with Teru, a.k.a. Morales, a.k.a. friend of our pod, Joel De La Fuente. And he's got a fancy machine that is trying to detect if there are other cameras in the place. And he picks something up on the machine and finds that there's another camera inside the smoke detector. And that one was aimed right towards the bed. And Munch is like, I've got hangnails bigger than that thing. And I don't like hearing that. Finn is there and he and the CSU guy just found another one. So that's a total of four. So this is a high tech peeping Tom, they say. Okay. Um, Kara, you're going to be mad at me. I did tell you something disgusting that happened um, in Pittsburgh and it you obviously reminded me you said hangnail and I should I I tell should I tell Casey? Uh, You have to. Okay. Lovely people came to my um, stand-up show. They came to the podcast as well. I might get a message from Pittsburgh, but um, I think you know. Uh, Basically, after the show, someone decided through crowd work it came up but basically he holds part he holds a fingernail behind his ear and it's his backup fingernail um because he likes to pick at his nails and then when um he doesn't have any nails left he always has a nail waiting for him behind his ear and he take he took out the nail from behind his ear and showed me the loose fingernail and then uh put I keep gagging. I'm sorry. This is this is probably bad for anyone listening for how, your misophonia. <laughs> and then he put the nail back in his ear for comfort. So that's that. <laughs> Are we talking like the clipping of when you just clip a nail, yeah. like the little yeah. crescent moon? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. God. Do you have a comment, Casey? No, I mean, we're recording this on Halloween and that really felt like a horror story. Spookiest thing you're going to hear. Spookiest (laughs) thing you're going to hear this Halloween, that's for sure. And it's fine. We all have deep, dark secrets, but to show me your comfort nail you hide behind your ear after I'm, you know, feeling good after a nice, fun show was hard. And I did kick him out. I go, you need to leave. I go, our time is done here and you need to get out of here. But they were great. You know who they were with? They were with the espresso martini guy. Oh. I think, unless I'm mixing it up, but I feel we like him. we love him. And he was with um, with our friends. I think, I think, I think I'm not fucking it up. <sighs> so I don't know if you regret hearing that, Casey, or if anyone um, had to listen to my gag noises on the podcast. But I have a really sensitive gag reflux. I've puked on a dick. Like things happen. Oh God! Wow! It was just Bud Light strawberry. <laughs> Casey's but... <laughs> covering his eyes. He's like, "Oh no!" It was just Bud Light strawberry. <laughs> oh no! Okay, back to the episode. I'm just I gotta saying, get it wasn't to a like har- a chunky puke on the dick. It was just uh, you know strawberry. <laughs> I gotta get to a harvest festival and remember a, a dick being puked on with bright red fruit punch for the next couple hours. Um, so. This they're saying that the receiver for this these cameras is 150 to 300 yards is the range. I don't understand yards. Like people are always like, ah, oh, a couple hundred yards. I don't really know what that means. This is 450 to 900 feet, and 900 feet is like a quarter of a mile. So that's like about like yards confuse me too much. Like a quarter of a mile is basically like the radius, the max radius, and that's like 
That seems kind of close, but in New York City, that's like thousands and thousands of residences and like offices, which Munch points out. So at the hospital now, Cassie is wrapping up her exam when Olivia comes in and Cassie's like, any any news on the rape kit? And Benson's like, no fluids or lacerations, but Benson said that's not unusual. And she's like, she just wants to know if she was raped or not. And Benson's like, we just don't know for sure yet. The hair cutting, the clothes tearing, the writing on the body does prove it is a sexually motivated assault. Can you think of any enemies you have? And she's like, no. Benson's like his voice, smell, shoes, anything. She's like, it all happened too fast. You know, knocked, she was knocked out within seconds. So she doesn't get anything. Um, nobody else has keys to her apartment, she said. And Benson breaks the news about the hidden cameras. And she's obviously understandably freaked out and is like, how long? And like, how long have they been there? She's like, we don't know. Could this be the same guy? It could be like the person that planted the cameras could be the person that attacked you. Benson promises that we've swept the apartment. The cameras are gone. And Cassie's like, where's my boyfriend? He's outside waiting to take her home. And she's like, it'll never be home again, which, you know, I always think about that on these shows when people get like, they did an episode of this with that blonde actress. I can't remember. I don't know her name, but where she is attacked in her home and what it is like to go back to your home. Is it the one with Michael J. Fox's wife? No, different one. But Tracy Pollan, those are early ones. And I do love those episodes because I think those really, really handle like like trauma really well and like like how different people respond afterwards. But this one was like a more recent episode. It's like this girl with blonde hair. I think it might be called Wonderland or something like that. that. That's coming out of nowhere. But she gets attacked in her home And then she comes back to it. It's torn apart from the police. It's covered in like black fingerprint powder. She has to get her locks changed. It's just like kind of the reality of like what happens. You don't just like go home and go back to bed after you leave the hospital after, you know, you file a report. So it's just, you know, interesting. You know Um, what else just hit me? I wonder if we're going to get a bunch of DMs from people being like, I keep a fingernail behind my ear. How dare you oh, shame no, me? No, 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 no. If the, if you do that, you need to not write us. We we can't hear about it. I can't hear about it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm sure I do something that grosses you out and we're just not going to talk about it. Um. So in the hospital waiting room, Stabler is questioning the boyfriend and he's immediately like, you don't think me, the boyfriend, the one most statistically likely to attack my partner, attacked my partner, do you? And, he, and he's like, don't forget whoever hid those cameras was spying on me too. And, uh, he, you know, he's like, the only person she had problems with was her conductor, Robert Prescott. He's been after her since she joined the symphony six months ago. She says she set him straight, but he's like, I don't buy it. This conductor guy does not take no for an answer. He goes, ask Valerie Baxter. She's the violinist he was involved with last season. Rumor is he was abusive. A month after she left, he hired Cassie, turned her into his little pet project, set her up in Valerie's old apartment. He owns the apartment. So that's a huge dun-dun. Cragen is talking to Benson, and he can't believe this guy, like, maybe didn't sexually assault the woman since the attack was so rageful. And they're like, well, maybe he didn't have a chance. The police got there five minutes after this alarm was triggered because she never entered in her code. The boyfriend was in a cab. He's alibied. It wasn't him. Uh, And then they're talking to Cragen, telling him all the details that they learned about Prescott. But it's confusing. Like, how did the boyfriend leave within a few seconds and miss the person coming in? Like, the the trade-off was so fast. That person could have been waiting in the hallway for hours. Yeah, like hidden somewhere else. You know, just like waiting for her to come home. 
you know? So they're talking to Craig and giving him all the details they learned about from the boyfriend about Prescott, the maestro, and it's possible that he planted the cameras. Munch suggests, oh, maybe he got tired of being a couch potato. Or Finn says, maybe he hired someone to spice up the show. So Benson points out, either way, the point was to humiliate her, cutting her hair, writing whore on her body, like... So they want to talk to Prescott, obviously, but his secretary said he's upstate looking at investment properties. And the lab tracked the cameras to a place called Quark International, which is a spy shop. And Liv just tracked down Valerie at the New York School of Music. So now they're talking to Valerie and she's telling Benson and Stabler that Prescott told her she had a gift. She's She seems like a little bit like meek, Valerie. She's like a little bit nervous talking to them. And, you know, she's a violinist and putting her violin away and stuff. And she's like, yeah, Prescott told me I had a gift and we'd work late into the night together and he would drill me until my fingers bled, but it worked. I was feeling the music on a deeper level level than I ever thought possible. And then she says things got sexual about a month into the private lessons. He made her feel special and that she could be a concert violinist. And he became abusive only after she said she wanted to bounce. So this guy is very controlling. One night, when he was asleep, she found, she went to go get a blanket out of a cabinet and she found a video camera aimed through a hole in the wall. And there was a row of tapes with women's names on them. And she was like, that's when I realized I was just another chapter in his tape collection. And when she tried to end it with him, he turned vicious. He berated and threatened her. And she's like, I couldn't pick up my violin without shaking. So now Munch and Finn are at the spy shop. And I'm sorry, but this just reminds me of my friend who... I won't get into this too much, but Lisa, I think you know this story. My friend was working for her brother and trying to help other people at the brother's business get certified for this really bureaucratic government test. So she was taking the test and she went to a spy shop and bought a spy button for her shirt. And she went in, and I, I honestly think it's this shirt, this store, because she told me where it was. It's kind of near the Empire State Building. And I think that's where this is. And she got this spy thing and she was taping herself, taking the test so that she could help other people. And it's just one of the funniest things. I can't get into too much detail about it because I don't want anybody to get in trouble. No, but. you can't go into detail, but I do want to add, she was doing good work because a lot of the people she was helping um, were English second language people. Yeah. And so the test was just unfair um, to people who might not have a grasp on the language. So she wasn't just cheating for fun. She wanted to help. Exactly, exactly. And the test was worded really, really confusing. Even her brother, who's the boss, goes, I don't think I could pass this test. Like, it's so worded crazy. And then for people that are like ESL, like, it was just impossible. And they're all great at their jobs. They just needed to, like, pass this test. So, But didn't you say she did get caught and it was a funny punishment? <laughs> she did get caught. And her only punishment is that she's not allowed to work in that industry anymore. And that is not something she's ever wanted to do. So it was actually <laughs> fine. <laughs> but I just think it's hilarious that they even were like monitoring it so closely. Um, but damn, like, I wonder if people are just cheating on the SAT constantly. So now... They're at the spy shop. They're talking to this nerd. He's showing them all his sneaky little cams and recorders. And he's like, yeah, since 9-11, this stuff's been flying off the shelves. Because we're, what are we, like, not even not even six months from 9-11 when this episode comes out. And they do mention it quite a few times. So he looks up the equipment from the apartment and he's like, whoa, like, that's quite an order. That would have run you a couple thousand dollars worth of, like, spy equipment. And so it was ordered online and it was charged to Herman Gar Garfunkel in Queens, who they, of course 
tracked down and he has been dead for years. So this is a case of stolen identity. The stuff was all delivered to a P.O. box at a you mail it, which is near Cassie's apartment and near the conductor's penthouse, both within range of the camera. Do conductors make a lot of money? Like, I didn't know a conductor would have like not only a penthouse, but another apartment he rents out and then investment opportunities upstate. Like my uncle's a professional violinist and he has a nice house outside of Atlanta, but like a New York City penthouse feels like, and I know conductors would make more. Funny, I wrote conductor salary, but it's all train conductors. So (laughs) one second. (laughs) Oh, it's how, no, I think, okay, maybe I'm wrong. I think you have to come from family money. I think it's like you're in the arts. Like I'm sure he has family money. The salary estimates for an orchestra musical conductor are only 50 to 69K a year in LA. Um, And then to be an orchestra musician is 11 to 27 per hour. And this is in LA. Okay. The comparably music conductor salary, this is from October, 2023. The salaries of music conductors in the US range from 13 grand to 351,000 with a median of 63,000. Even if he's making 350,000, the top, that's really not penthouse money in New York City. No, I think he comes from money. I think it's one of those yeah. jobs. Oh, it's like, it's like yeah. you'll meet someone that wor- is on a board of a chair. It's like, you obviously come from wealth. You have a Prada yeah. bag. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so anyway, that just caught my attention. So Cragen's like, we need into that penthouse and Cabot's there to be like, babe, we do not have enough for a warrant. And they're like, what about Valerie being taped without her consent? And she doesn't have a reasonable expectation of privacy. Privacy. And uh, she's like, it's not really about the right to privacy. It's about keeping the government out of our bedrooms and the courts are like really horny for that protection. But I don't, it's so weird that you'll just let like a spy cam into people's bedrooms. Anyway, Cragen argues that it's the same as breaking and entering. And Cabot's like, no, he owns the apartment. He has certain rights to entry. So whatever, uh, he may have taped the attack. We need a reason to search his place. And Cabot's like, okay, but you have to limit the warrant to the receiver or any videos and equipment. It's like, why didn't she just say that to start. Like at first she's like, there's no way. And then she's like, okay, you can do it. But so anyway, this man has a very lackluster penthouse. They're in the bedroom and there's barely any furniture. Um, They're searching his bedroom and then Liv walks over to this huge armoire that has literally every single thing they're looking for. A camera aimed at the bed, tons of videotapes. They start bagging them up and Olivia's like, looks like we have a long night ahead of us. Cuts to Benson and Stabler watching their 10th homemade porno from this conductor. And Benson goes... He uh, really seems to favor that one position there. And it's really funny. And Stabler's like, at least he's consistent. So Finn and Craig and Munch bust in and Finn goes, wait till you see this. They all sit down to watch it and done, done. It is Cassie in his room. They're kissing. They're, she seems very consensually hooking up with this man, seemingly. Um, And this was recorded last month. So she's obviously been keeping a secret, maybe out of fear or embarrassment, and the maestro wants to let her know who's boss. So let's get him in. Let's get them in there, Cragen says. That's the end of uh, act one. So now Benson and Stabler have Cassie in interrogation, wooden blinds, not cement and bars. And they're like, tell us the truth. Like, what's up with you and Prescott? She's like, he threatened to ruin my career. Like, uh, she said, I met him eight months ago at the Castles competition. When I won, he offered to bring me to New York City. Sex was not part of the deal. Um, And she does have the exact same voice as her sister. Like, when I was listening to her talk, I was like, you sound like Zoe Deschanel. Like, they sound alike. And... 
He's like, she's like, he got me the best instructors. He introduced me to all the right people. He set up my debut here in New York and he was there whenever I needed him. And she's like, I guess I fell in love. So then one night she stopped by his apartment to surprise him with a birthday gift and he was in bed with another woman. So she told him it was over. She was quitting the orchestra. He flipped out and said he invested too much in her. He showed her the tape and he's like, hey, babe, you leave. I tell everyone in this business about, like, I'll just show this to everyone. And it's like, that would also make you look crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, I don't think you'll get much conductor work if everyone thinks you're like secretly taping people that you're fucking. And so she threatened the police uh, and he said, it's my word against yours. Go for it. And this was a little over a month ago. And they're like, has he threatened you since? And she's like, well, not exactly, but I've been getting phone calls and flowers. Every, after every concert she gets home, there's flowers at her door with a card that says, all my love, me. And whenever she gets to her apartment, the phone starts ringing. And when she answers it, the person hangs up. So she thought it was Rob. Robert, the conductor, trying to intimidate her. And it's like, girl, how do you think he knows when to call? And she finally gets it. It's like, yeah, he's been watching you. Like, she never thought he he would ever hurt her. And um, she gives the name of the florist. And then Finn knocks to let them know that the maestro has arrived with his lawyer. And the maestro is obviously reminding me of the Seinfeld with the maestro. I'm sure you as well. So now we've got the maestro in interrogation, but he's in cement and bars. So, you know, different, you know, he, well, he's not, he's not a victim. She is. Um, so he's in cement and bars and his lawyer is the gorgeous Trevor Langan, Mr. Mershka Hargitay, AKA personal laundry spokesperson, Peter Herman. And he is arguing that this is all private acts between consenting adults. And Olivia's like, Oh, did they consent? And she, and he goes, of course. And they're like, what about Valerie? She didn't consent to being taped. And he goes, oh, you guys didn't notice what a fragile baby bird she is. She had visions of stardom. I did everything I could to help her, but there was only so much I could do with the material. And then Stabler goes, well, you did every which way you could. And Langan goes, watch it, detective. And the guy goes, I promise you, a good time was had by all. Everyone, inv- everyone involved loved my nonstop missionary. So what about Cassie? He goes, yeah, I enjoy working with her. She's very talented. And they're like, she lives in your apartment. And what's with the apartment? He's like, it's a tax write-off for my loan out, which I rent at a loss to visiting musicians and new hires. And I also have two other apartments on in the 60s, so on the Upper West Side. Are they loaded up with cameras too? What about the flowers and the love notes? And he goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he's like, you you, um, you don't think me, a creepy sex nut who tapes every sex- sexual move I make without my partner's consent could be responsible for this attack? And he's producing her New York debut on Friday. He's like, I'm going to make her a star. Why the fuck would I do that? Like, why would I mess with that? And they're like, oh, because she rejected you and you don't like that. And... uh where were you uh, when the attack happened? And he goes, as a matter of fact, I was with a woman. And he goes, they go, give us a name. And he goes, you already have a name. It's on the last tape, time-coded and dated. And this guy's very cringy and Liv looks like she wants to kill him. And his name is Michael Nader. He actually passed away in 2021. He was on Dynasty and All My Children. And I watched him on All My Children for years. His character's name was Dimitri. He had dark hair. He looked different, but he was on All My Children. That voice, I remember it. He has a really, like, kind of this kind of voice. So anyway, of course, this is the moment Cragen busts in, as usual, to pull one or both of the detectives out. He summons Elliot. He's like, Elliot, out here. Cragen says, Munch and Finn called from the concert hall. There's been another attack. So... At the concert hall, Munch says when they walked in, they heard the scream from the lobby. They came back from the break and found a message for Cassie. Her cello is lying on the ground. There's some flowers and a note in the strings that says, die, bitch, that looks also like it's written in blood. Whose blood, Benson asks, and she looks confused. 
This isn't an attack, though. This is just like an incident. Like, no one is attacked. Uh, but Cragen, you know, loves to bring the drama. So back at the precinct, we've got Stabler, Daddy Cragen, and Huang. And Benson is with Cassie. Stabler says, the florist remembers the guy, but he never gave a name. He paid cash. He was just a white guy, medium height, medium build, blonde. Finn still thinks Prescott could have hired someone. And Huang's like, no, 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 no. This is all personal. Like, and they're like the attack is so personal. There's no way that anybody could have been a surrogate, he says. But we've eliminated the two men she's involved with. And Huang is like, well, what if it's an erotomanic? He believes he's in a relationship that doesn't exist. And Munch goes, sounds like me and my four ex-wives. But um bump. And uh he goes. Um, he might not even be in the orchestra or know Cassie at all. Like, he could have just been set off by a look, a hello, anything that he just thinks is an affair. And Stabler says it reminds him of a case where a guy thought a newscaster was sending him secret signals during the broadcast. And Finn goes, what happened? As if it could have gone anywhere good. And he goes, no, he followed her home and he shot her And he, when she told him to go away. I looked this up. I tried to see if this was based on anything real, but I couldn't find anything. So... I don't know. And, uh... Like, uh, the case of a newscaster, you mean? Or yeah, like this, the case uh, of somebody thing. thinking a newscaster was... Yeah, the case of somebody thinking a newscaster was communicating with them and, uh, and sending signals and then killing. But I, I don't... I, it could be real, but I'm sure that's... I'm sure newscasters have gotten, like, stalked before, but I don't know if this is... This actually happened in New York around 2001, which is what Elliot's alluding to. So they said that this guy might not stop till he kills her. So he, we got to find him and he's probably near the receiver that picked up the video signal, but warrants are slow going because it's for so many like, you know, buildings and areas. Focus on anybody that was in or out of her apartment between um, then and now. He had to be there to plant the cameras. So let's find out how he got in. So now we're at the building talking to the super and the building, he said, got a total security overhaul, security codes, alarms. No one's getting in or out without permission from the tenant. And they're like, well, what about when there's maintenance? And he goes, well, then I go and I wait in the apartment if the tenant is going to be out. That's policy. So in the last month, he said Casey had one maintenance thing, which was like a clogged kitchen drain. And then there was a security tech that went there to install the new alarm system recently or to check on the new alarm system, excuse me. The guy was up there for maybe an hour and he's like, what do you mean maybe? I thought it was policy that you stay there. And he's like, well, turned out I had a little problem in the same time at another apartment, but he um, gets the work order and the name of the tech is Ray Campbell. So now we're talking to a supervisor and he's like, oh yes, it's 9-11. Security has been huge. Like, I don't know. I don't know why 9-11 everyone's like, now I need a spy camera in my bedroom. Um, but that's what is happening. Uh, he's like, I had to hire new guys. Ray's one of my best guys. He's been here 10 years. They're like, well, what was wrong with Cassie's system? He's like, I don't remember. I probably service millions of uh, people. Uh, but he looks up the work order and he goes, that's odd. This isn't in the system, this work order. And Ray was at a totally other location that day, a block away. So they're like, uh-oh, where's Ray? He's on a job. So they go talk to Ray. This guy is another soap opera guy. There's like so many, there's like four soap opera people in this uh, episode. Um, this guy is played by Joseph Adams. He's a soap guy. And Stabler asks him about the job. And he goes, yeah, I remember installing the system there a couple months ago, but I haven't been back since. And then he shows him the work order and he goes, yeah, that's my employee number, but that's not my signature. And he goes, maybe it's the same guy who stole the rest of my stuff. It turns out a month ago, somebody broke into his truck, got tools, a jacket, and a hat, and, like, he didn't even think to check to see if the guy took any paperwork. Like, who would want that? So, 
this guy posed as a security tech to gain access to Cassie's apartment. Only three addresses within the broadcast range of the cameras are serviced by that company. One is Cassie's, um, which means the receiver's got to be in one of the other two buildings. And I was like, that is kind of a... Like, why does the receiver... I guess that does make sense because like, that, how else would you have access unless you... But how does this guy know what buildings are accessed by this company. I guess he took a ton of work orders. Anyway, the signatures don't match, but Stabler also found a work order for an unauthorized DSL line in the basement of one of the buildings. They're like, send Munch and Finn over with a tech. So over there, Finn is like, why do we always get stuck with these glamorous gigs? And Munch is like, it's our can-do attitude. And Finn's like, I should have just been a garbage man if I wanted to like go through nasty basements. Um, and Morales has got something. He's like, there's a box with a DSL line. And Munch goes, oh, like what connects my computer? to the World Wide Web. And yeah, Munch has narc energy all the time. Uh, they find the receiver and Morales has to explain to them basically what streaming is and they cannot believe it. Like it is 2002. Like none of us had any idea. Like what? You could just be like sending out video on the internet that people could be watching in real time. Like what? So, you know, Morales is like, welcome to the information age. My name is not Teru. Like I'm a person. And so back at the precinct, they're explaining that this guy is putting the video out over the internet, but not for public consumption. Like only one computer is, is hitting on it. So they're like, cause Stabler's like, how many hits? Like thinking that this is going out as some kind of like creepy, you know, voyeur porn or something, but it's just, going to this, whoever the is this, the doer's computer. It's for his personal use, it seems. And um, the computer belongs to a guy named Terry Willard. We're meeting a lot of people. We're going to a lot of locations. This episode's twisty and turvy. They go to Terry Willard's apartment and they make the landlady open the door. And his apartment looks like pretty modern for like a weird computery like man. I don't know. I was expecting it to be creepier. Um, but then Finn like strong arms a door open and we find this guy's little stalker clubhouse room and there's photos of Cassie everywhere. Stalker City. Benson finds a 1997 college yearbook from Indiana University. So he's been stalking her since then. And they're like, yeah, talk about your groupie from hell. Terry's her number one fan, which feels to me like a reference to misery, but um, maybe not. And then that's the end of act two. So at the top of act three, they're taking tons of evidence out of this guy's uh, apartment, computers, boxes of stuff. And the woman who let them in is like trying to defend them. She's like, he, he's a good man. He's sweet and gentle. And then, you know, finally, when they talked to her a little bit more, she drops the bomb that this is her boyfriend. And it's ever since Thanksgiving, they've been boyfriend, girlfriend. And then that was their first date. Like they were both in town and he, she invited him to like a diner. And you know, that's when their relationship started. She says she's never been inside his little stalker cave because it's his office. I have no need to go in there. And that's, we hear that all the time. You know, Fritzl's wife never went down to his basement. That's his workshop. Certainly not where he's keeping my daughter and a bunch of child prisoners. They're like, did he ever mention Cassie? And she's like, no, he doesn't have any friends. He has too much work. He's a partner at an internet company in Soho that's really taking off called Web Trends. So now we're at Web Trends and we find out old Terry got laid off a couple months earlier. He's not a partner because he's not a people person. He's just a really great website designer. But they had to dump 90% of their staff when the stock tanked. Like the whole place is empty. It's one of those like huge office floors of like a startup where all the cubicles are empty. And he's like, now we're almost bankrupt. They went. Uh, they said Terry went ballistic when they told him about his layoff. 
Um, the last few weeks, he'd seemed distracted. And they they were like, oh, why? He goes, they, he probably heard the rumors, which of course I'm like, they probably heard the rumors and the nastiness. <laughs> and he goes, I would have kept him on, but his work habits became erratic. Like, I guess he would have been in the top 10% that didn't get fired, but his work habits became erratic. He was missing days of work, coming in all tired, like he'd been up all night. So when they finally canned him, he just like snapped. And um, so that's interesting. And now we're with Morales looking at all of Terry's footage and it is so creepy. He's been basically downloading silent footage of Cassie doing her whole day. He's got cameras on her whole apartment and then he makes little DVDs of her day like he cuts together and scores it with music. And he's done 20 days of like, you know, Cassie's life. Like, just, okay, here she wakes up and here's a little song while she's brushing her teeth and like, here's her having sex with somebody. So they go to the day of the attack and unfortunately, everything is off camera. Like the camera's not right in the entryway and then the perp shuts the door so there's no light. So they really don't have anything. Then Morales hands Munch a bunch of papers and goes, but you might be interested in this. And it turns out that this like little script that's in his hand is called The Legend of Cassie and Terry. So this little freak made fan fiction of his fake relationship with Cassie. It's an online journal. It started four years ago at Indiana University when he first heard her play the cello. It follows her all over the world to competitions, but then the story takes a turn when Terry goes to prison for credit card fraud because he needed a way to pay for all these trips. He's like following a violinist all around the world. Um, if we learn anything from Anton Krasnikov, it's that, you know, you line up a lot of shows in this line of work and you're all over the world. So when Terry gets out of jail, Cassie has graduated and moved away. He goes online. He buys her social security number for $45, uses it to trace her to the symphony, but nothing in the journal ties him to the attack and his girlfriend hasn't seen him in two days. So he probably knows we're on his trail and Munch reveals, but he's still in town. This guy has half a dozen online aliases and he goes to public computer cafes and coffee shops and bookstores and stuff where they have computers and internet and he visits these sites and they're tracking his movements. And if he stays online long enough, we can track him. But I don't think that's how it works with online. Like you sign on and your IP address is there. It's not the same as like, keep the caller on the line. Which by the way, I was just telling Casey about this movie, Black Christmas, I watched with Jared. It's like an old horror movie from the late seventies, I think. And the way that they would track phone numbers is everybody's phone was in this massive room, like everybody's phone number. And you would have to keep the guy on the line while a guy just went around checking every single box to see where the call was coming from. Like they keep not being able to get this guy because they can't get to the boxes in time. Jared goes, when we were watching it, he goes, wait till you see how they track phone calls. <laughs> so that was interesting for me having watched this show. But I don't think that's how it works. Like you have to be online for a certain amount of time. Like if you sign on, you're on, there's the IP. So they're like, well, maybe we can flush this guy out. Tell Benson and Stabler to bring Cassie in for a chat. So they bring Cassie in. They show him the picture of the guy and she's like, that's him? And they're like, yeah, he followed you from college and he's obsessed with you. And she's like, I don't know this person. I've never seen him. And Huang explains, well, he thinks you two are in love and having the cameras on you helped further his delusion without risking rejection. And she's like, how do you know? And it's like, bitch, that's Dr. George Huang. He just like knows everything, so don't. And um, he also kept the whole journal. Like, we know everything. So she's like, can we stop him? And they're like, we think we can, but we need your help. He basically goes to this I Love Cassie site that he made like two to three times a day. And they want her to dedicate 
her show to him, her big violin concert debut that she has on Friday. Talk about him in press interviews. Let him know how much he means to you. Like, this is sick. Like, I I feel like they could, in other ways, just, I don't know. But it's like, hey, cello lady, you're good at acting, right? Just pretend that this man is your best friend and you need him to come to the show. And she's like, but this guy is nuts. And they're like, don't worry. We'll cover every entrance and grab him before he even gets near you. Trust us. We are cops and we never fuck up. <laughs> LOL. So they're like, this is your our best chance to get him into a controlled situation and we just can't do it without you. So now we cut to the concert hall. Everyone's in place. Stabler's like in a tux with a clear security piece in his ear, like regular security. Um, Morales is behind the scenes with facial recognition software. And Munch is like, I didn't know we could afford this. And it's like, Munch, you know how much the NYPD gets, like a billion, jillion dollars. <laughs> like you're the conspiracy guy. I feel like you would know that. And Morales explains- <laughs> Yesterday I went to um, the Walgreens like, prescription, you know, pickup, like in the yeah. car. But there were like all these cop cars parked in the Walgreens parking lot to the side of it. And I was like, what's going on? And they were all outside the car eating donuts, like truly <laughs> out of a cartoon. <laughs> they all had boxes of food on the, on the, on the roof of the, their cars, their big SUVs. They were just snacking. And I was like, oh that's my God. amazing. That's so funny. Yeah, that because it's just cartoons of themselves. That's really good. So uh, Morales is explaining how the software works. Like it scans faces and compares it to Terry's profile, but it allows for weight loss, weight gain, facial hair, glasses, because the photo they have of Terry is old. They get a hit, aisle two, man in a beard. They grab him. This guy looks confused. And then it's like, uh-oh, another hit. And this guy, Terry, looks like a lot of people, it turns out. So actually, Morales is like, I just set the threshold really low so we would definitely get the guy. So they're just like pulling random men aside. And Cassie's backstage with her boyfriend, Ann Benson, and she is understandably freaking out. And they're like, don't worry. We got you. We're going to get him. Just think about the music. Not your stalker who attacked and possibly raped you, who's just out in the audience, maybe. And so she like, goes out and starts playing. And then they let the first guy they grabbed go. And Finn goes, sorry for the inconvenience. And I'm like, you know, the most polite cops in the biz. Like, you're just not going to get that. I feel like I've never heard a cop say sorry. So then an usher walks up to them and hands them a box that he found outside Cassie's dressing room that's addressed to her. And they open the box and inside is a dead rat. Nasty. So Stabler gets a call on the headpiece that they got another hit. So Cassie continues to play. Her boyfriend's in the front row. I was even like going through points where I was like, is it the boyfriend? Like, I know he had an alibi, but maybe he had like found out about her affair with the maestro and got like, I was, my mind was going a lot of different places. So they try to bring the stalker out and he is making a scene. And like, he's like, no, Cassie invited me. Cassie invited me. He keeps yelling that because he's obviously watching all the press for her interviews for her debut where she's going, Terry, hope to see you there. So also Benson is in a hot little LBD and Stabler is in a tux as they like haul this guy out. So that's the end of Act 3. Top of Act 4, I'm still not positive where this is going, but I'm starting to get an idea. In interrogation with Stalker Terry, played by this guy's name, Nate Mooney. He's also been on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but a lot of other stuff. This guy's worked a lot, like one episodes of like every show you've ever heard of. And he's like, uh, 
No, Cassie rules. She's the best. There's no one like her. I heard her playing in college one time. And when she looked at me and she smiled, and I just knew from then on that we'd be together. And so it's like when men are like, why don't you smile? It's like, this is why. Like you smile at the wrong freak and he's planning your honeymoon in his mind and buying your social security number online. You know, like this is why we're just frowning or we're at rest, you know? So they go, you've sacrificed so much to be with her. And he's like, it's not a sacrifice when you love someone. So, you know, this man is has problems, you know? So it must have stung for you to see her fucking another guy, huh? And he goes, it wasn't her fault. He got her drunk and took advantage of her. And it's like, but don't you see her having sex with her boyfriend and the maestro? Like, you know, there's multiple. And then Stabler and Cragen start tag teaming, like riling up Terry. Like, nah, she threw it in your face after you gave it all up for her. Like you did everything for her. I'd want to slap the shit out of her if that was me. And he's like, no, I never hurt her. I love her. It was horrible the way he beat her. And they're like, how did you know she was beaten? And he said, I saw it. And they're like, with the spy cams. And then he tries to backpedal on that. And he's like, no, I just like found a website online that had a spy cam of her. Like, and it's like, this episode does have a lot of weird math. Like, he planted the spy cams, but also the maestro uses spy cams. So are some of them his and some of them the maestro? Like, it is really confusing, like, what's happening with this math of this episode. Um, And so what about the cello, the rat? And he's like, we don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, well, then why are you on the run? And he goes, well, Amy says you're trying to put me in jail for something I didn't do. And Amy is the other, they go, oh yeah, your other girlfriend, Amy. It's like the landlady at the place that let them in. And he goes, she's not my girlfriend. She's my landlady. And they're like, well, she says she's your girlfriend. And then he goes, well, she lied. And Stabler yells at him and calls him a liar. Tell us the truth and I'll convince the DA to go easy on you, Cragen says. And he goes, I told you I would never hurt Cassie. And so now Cabot is weighing in and she's like, honestly, we have nothing to tie him to this assault. No forensics, no witnesses, just a man cave full of photos of her. They're like, what about the cameras, the credit card fraud? It's like, she goes, we can't prove it was him who used the card. Like it, but- Yeah, because I guess if you use a credit card that you stole and you get it to a mailbox that you've registered in someone else's name, if they don't have you on camera, they can never prove that it was like you who set it up, you know? So just a little tip for those of you trying to commit credit card fraud, just please don't take mine. I can't change all my numbers again. Uh, So his fingerprint was found in her place, they said. And Cabot's like, well, that's trespassing at best. And it's like, Jesus, like, what about stalking? And Cabot says, stalking has to prove that he tried to frighten her, but he intentionally tried to stay hidden. Cassie had never even seen this guy until his arrest. So I guess stalking is like, you know, showing up at someone's work, like letting yourself be seen, like, you know, and this guy was fully in hiding. So they're like, well, what about the case in New Jersey where the landlord got 30 years for planting hidden cameras? Cabot goes, that guy recorded sound, which elevated the charges to wiretapping. Terry did not record sound, just video. It is wild, all these like little things before we got with the technology, you know? So they're like, well, we can get him for burglary of the van because he did, they found the stolen tech uniform, but that's it. Until the law catches up with all this technology, we've got this guy on burglary and maybe trespassing. Um, and I was looking it up to see if it's been updated. And it's, I found, um, it's, said on the internet, in many states, it's legal to use hidden cameras in your home for security purposes. However, cameras are typically not allowed in areas where people have a reasonable expectation of privacy, such as bathrooms, bedrooms, changing rooms. And in New York, it is a felony to use a hidden camera to do an upskirt or a down blouse. 
little quote unquote, both of those phrases, um, to secretly photograph or record someone under or through their clothing, to monitor someone when they have a reasonable expectation of privacy, to monitor someone without their knowledge or consent, or to use or install imaging devices for no legitimate purpose. Um, Because I remember my friend, oh, and then it just says, Felony disclosures in, in New York, at least, are punishable by up to four years in prison and a $5,000 fine. Misdemeanor is 364 days in prison and a $1,000 fine. I love how they're like, just shy of a day, 364 days, just a leap year in prison. But my, I, I ha, we have a friend who was talking to a comedian that got like me too'd like after all this stuff came out and he called her and she recorded their conversation. But she did it in Nevada where it's legal to record someone without them knowing. There are some states where you can record someone without them knowing. And Whoa. there's other states where it's totally illegal to record someone without their... That's why banks, it always says, this conversation may be recorded for quality assurance. Like, they have to always let you know, all like, if they're taping a call. But our friend um, taped this guy, and she goes, because I was in Vegas, and I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> so, it was just But funny. did she know? That's how she planned it? She, like, went to Vegas to make this call to, like, No, get she it, just happened she... to be. She just happened oh, to be. Oh, my God. Cool. I mean, yeah. She might have taped it anyway, and just not, like shared it. But then she's like, then I realized I didn't do anything wrong because in Vegas, it's legal or Nevada, it's legal. Anyway, the gang is all together now in the precinct chatting. Finn is like, well, at least we shut down this little freaks operation. But Munch is like, no, the internet's forever. I read that somewhere. And Stabler's like, what a hell of a way to achieve immortality. Benson walks in and says, Amy posted Terry's bail. This guy got busted stalking another woman and she's bailing him out. Like how blind can love be? One of them says. And Stabler is about to get a uni on Cassie when Cragen comes in, face fallen and goes, too late. Cassie's been shot. Done, done. So now we're at the hospital. The boyfriend, Kevin, is there. And he is played by Robert Bogue, also a soap guy. He's on like hundreds of episodes of Guiding Light if you're a Guiding Light gal or guy. I never watched that one. I was an, I was only the ABC soaps. One Life to Live, All My Children, General Hospital. This guy, uh, Robert Bogue, is also in an FCU episode called Legitimate Rape from season 14. And he works a lot. He's still working. He's in tons of stuff. But he's on edge when they get to him in the waiting room. He's like, he's like, she's still in surgery. He's really, really worried. So this is when I officially drop my theory that he's involved. And he says, Cassie came to pick him up from work. I forgot my wallet, so I went inside to grab it and then I heard the gunshots. I ran back out and found her lying there. The doctor comes out and is like, she's going to be okay. She got really lucky. So then the cops pull the doc aside. They're like, tell it to us straight. She's like, two slugs to the back. One hit a kidney and the other one just missed her heart. It was a small gun, close range. You can talk to her when she's out of recovery. So they get a hit on Terry's activity at a cafe two blocks away and Stabler goes to check it out with Munch. So now they're at a place called Joe's Cafe and they're looking around and they see this kid on a computer just watching Cassie take her clothes off on a video. This little teen, he's like, oh. And he's like, what? Um, The guy that was sitting here left. So I'm just like watching his porn. It's like not a big deal. And everybody keeps describing this guy as scraggly haired and it's kind of a burn. Like everyone keeps going, I don't know, medium height, medium build, scraggly hair. And which would be my nightmare if someone said I had scraggly hair. Uh, and he says, the guy was blubbering about a chick leaving him for another man. And then they show a picture of Terry to the teen 
And he goes, yep, that's him. The kid goes, he left 10 minutes ago and he also uh, left Amy's credit card behind the front desk. So they send this kid to go off and do his homework. <laughs> Stabler's like, don't you have homework? Get the hell out of here. And then Stabler sends Munch and Finn to go see what Amy is up to. And they catch up to her as she's leaving her apartment building. And she's got all these grocery bags. And she is played by Jennifer Laura Thompson, who is a Broadway baby. She was Chenoweth's original understudy in Wicked. And she did get to go on and play Galinda in Wicked. And she was in the original cast of Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. So she's done a lot of Broadway stuff. She's like, I I really got to go. I'm on my way to make dinner for a friend in Brooklyn. And you can kind of tell by her diction that she's a Broadway girl, but she is playing it like kind of good. Like I'm... I didn't really get it at first, but now I am like, oh yeah, what is up with this woman? She's creepy. And she says, Terry hasn't been home since he got out. And they're like, oh, well, he. what about your credit card? He has your credit card. They're like, she's like, where did you find that? They're like, at an internet cafe. And she goes, there must be some mistake. And she goes, well, someone has shot Cassie. And they're like, she goes, not Terry. He's the gentlest man I know. And they're like, well, we just want to make sure he doesn't hurt you. And she's like, you've got him all wrong. And then she just gets into her cab and they don't believe a word she's saying about this dinner in Brooklyn. So they decide to tail her. At the hospital now, Cassie is awake and she remembers nothing, of course, much like her first attack, just a sharp pain in her back and falling to the floor. Suddenly- She's um, really been going through it. I know. What a and fucked like, week. And it's it, it's such a fucked experience too. Like I know a lot of people have been through stalking, but it's like you you I think you mostly know who the person is. You know, some guy you went on one date with and then broke it off with and he's delusional. But like to have it just be someone that you don't even know, you've never laid eyes on them, who knows how much they could have been around you your whole life because you never recognize them is so creepy. And like, I don't know, the it violation. Is. There's like Which is, one other episode, like an incel episode where the, this guy is killing all the chads or whatever. Yeah. And then the girl's like, I don't even fucking know you. And he just oh, built this in. whole Holden's thing. Oh, manifesto. Oh, is that the that episode? Yeah, there there's ones where they look at his picture and they don't remember they don't remember him. And even though he was like a busboy at their restaurant where they waited, like they just don't remember him. And that's like an incels. Like that's that'll really get an incel going, you know. So suddenly in the hospital room, these guys come in with like four huge bouquets of flowers for her, and they're like, hold up, and they grab the card and it says, together forever, love me. So they chase down the delivery guy like it's him. And he's like, um, I deliver flowers. And now Munch is on the phone calling them being like, we've been following Amy all over creation. She's switched cabs twice and she's ended up at a dive hotel in Spanish Harlem, room 602. So... Now, Benson, Stabler, Munch, and Finn are all there. They knock on the hotel room door and she's like, go away. And Benson's like, imagine the cops are like, okay, bye. So Benson says, open the door. She opens it. She's standing there in a bathrobe, freshly showered. She's like, Terry's gone. And there's a window open. So you maybe, and with like a curtain blowing. So you maybe think he went out the window. She says, I was going to take him home to Oklahoma so we could make a new life. But Terry wouldn't leave the whore. And I warned her to leave him alone. And so we find out Amy's the one that attacked Cassie. She has she has a delusional relationship with Terry who has a delusional relationship with Cassie. And so she goes 
she wouldn't listen. And they're like, so you shot her. She goes, I had to stop her. I'm the only one who really loves him. And then they kick open the door to the bathroom and holy shit, Terry is dead on the bathroom floor with blood spatter everywhere. Like it is a particular, the early seasons of the show, like I know they've gone back to a lot of really gross violence in very recent episodes, but the very early seasons, they did like long shots of the dead body, blood splatter everywhere. Like I don't really think you see as much of that in the middle seasons, but it is a gruesome scene in this bathroom. And then they just, you just, uh, the camera's on Amy going, I didn't know what else to do. She has so many men. Terry is all that I have. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. The so fact do you that think two delusions is, that's, that's SVU at its finest. Two delusional people, two different guys that do spy cams, like so much going on. But also, and this girl think- just wants to play the cello. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think though that when did she kill Terry? Did she just kill Terry while Benson, while Munch and Finn were outside calling in backup, or did she kill him earlier and then go home to her apartment and like that's what she had in the like no. she had stuff in the bags? No, because what I think she killed him in that hotel room and then showered there to get the blood off. Yeah, I think she stabbed him a ton in close range and had to shower. But they were following him, so they must have been right outside the hotel when that happened. But it looked like that would have taken a long time. There was just so much blood everywhere. I know. I but you hit an artery and it really splurts, according to Dexter. I don't know. Um, yeah, but she, because also it's like so classic, like blaming her, blaming the cello girl, where it's like, no, yeah. you're this guy is the one chasing her. She doesn't yeah. even know he fucking exists. Yeah. The delusion is deep on all the levels here. And then it's like you go back to the evidence and you're like, oh, that's why there wasn't a rape and that's why this and that's why, yeah. And then you go back in time. But I do like her boyfriend because he's like, fuck the maestro. I don't care. I love you. I'm there for you. And I like that. Oh, God. Twisted. Twisted. Uh, Well, I'm going to do the true crime soon. And so much of it, it's interesting, is outdated technology and like laws not catching up to tech. Yeah. Where it's like this crime is so outdated today. Um, Kind of. It depends what state you live in. Okay. So listen to our commercials. Really listen. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So the case that I will be doing is it's the Susan Wilson case, and that is a common name. (laughs) Okay, so this happened in 1997, if you can take yourself all the way back there to those glorious 90s. Um, And her husband, Gary, so they moved into a quaint little neighborhood, Monroe in Louisiana. Um, They got a bigger house, and they just were feeling super lucky about their new home, new neighborhood, new life. Down the block from Susan, um, lived her friend from high school whose name was Stephen Glover. 
And he went to like Gary and Susan's wedding. And he was also a deacon in their church and even helped get them their house. Their kids all played together. But then all of a sudden, it started to feel like this dude knew a little too much about them. So one day, Susan remembers like um, her college yearbook came in. And this makes me think like, why would college yearbooks take so long? Or like, was it just from her old home? Or are they young? Like, was it grad school? Like this kind of confused me in terms of timing. But so her college yearbook came in. And then that night he came by and he said something like, oh, I know what you've been doing all day looking at that yearbook, haven't you? And that's when it was like, okay, that was kind of like, how would he have known that? And that's according to CBS News. And then also like the families had keys to each other's houses, which is regular. You have my keys. Like you give, you want neighbors to have your keys. I remember our neighbors had our keys when I forgot my keys from school after I broke the door that one time, you know, everyone had keys. Do you know, we had like no keys to my house growing up. Like you my didn't house lock was the just, doors. My house was just open all the time. Like I don't even know if my parents had keys to the house. Well, that's interesting because like my friend Lindsay, like her back door was always unlocked. Like we would always just walk into her family's house. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, we my dad's our door. version of a security system when we would go on vacation was leaving the TV on. He was like, "Oh, people won't break into your house if they think you're home watching TV." And I was like, "With the car gone from the driveway, I think the, the thieves are a little bit more advanced, Dad." But yeah, we just like never, ever were locked out of our house or ever had keys to our house. Wow, that's wild. No, I had keys and um, I lost them often. (laughs) But it's like totally normal for neighbors to have each other's keys. But it began to worry Susan because one weekend she and her sister went into Glover's house. Like they snuck in. So they did have keys. So they ended up sneaking into Glover's house and they found something. They found a videotape and her sister was like, they watched the tape. She goes, wait, isn't that your bed? And then all of a sudden she saw her image on the tape and then it was like, holy shit, that is my bed. That is me. And then there's a camera focused on our bed. She then, they went into his attic and they found like a 13 inch TV under the installation. And that's where he was like watching stuff. I don't know. And then it hit her like there were little tiny holes in the ceiling of her home, but she didn't think that the holes were big enough for spying. Like she didn't even think about the holes. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh my God, all of these holes are like camera things. So she couldn't sleep in her you know, bed anymore, obviously. And she started to go a little nutty and like would sleep in her closet and, and little, like she just, yeah, understandably, stopped trusting everything. And um, then they started finding other little holes everywhere and they found little holes over the shower and in the child's bathroom, but like no tapes from that were ever found. But Glover was also spying in his home too. There was just like, he put a camera in the room next to his hot tub where guests would change to go into the hot tub. So, uh, but he got no time for invasion of privacy, not any. Because, so the district attorney, Jerry Jones, said, you have the peeping Tom, um, but and there are laws against that, but there was no laws against the video part of the crime yet. This is 1997. So technology was ahead of the law. Uh, but it's like, you obviously know it's wrong to videotape people in their home without telling them, but there just was nothing on the books. And, but cameras existed before this. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. don't understand. I just feel like camera technology only in like the late 90s was getting so small where you could even do, like anybody would have noticed a camera before that. Like 
You know, if you had, had a sure, camera in a dressing room. Yeah, but we're talking about tiny cameras. But like, remember the season one episode where like Carrie's of Sex in the City, where Carrie's friend it like likes fucking models and taping them and then Samantha yeah. wants to fuck him and then his camera was full size. You know, it was yeah. hidden, but full size. So it's like, there were cameras. I don't yeah. understand why the law would like, you needed them to be tiny to protect people from being hit, like taped without their knowledge. Yeah. It's just strange to me. Um, But like, so then this guy, Jerry Jones, the DA was said, if he peeked through a window, he could have been arrested. But since it was a camera, it could not be prosecuted. But it's totally not true because when my building super climbed um, on a ladder and spied on me in the bedroom window, I was told by the NYPD no charges could be filed because he wasn't jerking off or videotaping. And because he, like, with the ladder, like, since he's the super of the building, you would have to prove that he couldn't be there and stuff. But, like, he was on a ladder whistling and, it, like, elbows into my apartment. But the NYPD said, no jizz, no tape, no, no, nothing. Jesus. So, so it's like this guy in Louisiana is saying we have peeping Tom laws. And then in New York, cut to, like, in the 20 teens, you there are no peeping Tom laws. He needed to leave evidence. So it's, like, it's really fucking annoying. Yeah. Eventually, but I wonder if that had been a regular guy and not your super if they could have gotten him. But because he's the super, he can always say he's fixing shit. Yeah. Right? No, because like, sure, but you would have to give someone a heads up while you're in their window. I think the NYPD course. was just oh, I'm like not lazy. Saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right. But I'm wondering if he was just like a random dude that climbed up a fire escape and was peeping, if he would get busted and that this guy was probably like, oh, their window was shaking. I had to fix it. You know, like he made an excuse that obviously he should have still told you. Yeah. Jeez, that's so scary. Yeah, it's just like, it's annoying. It's like the cops will do anything to not do work or something, or they'll go shoot an unarmed person. Too much or too little. So eventually this dude just pled guilty to unauthorized entry and he got three years probation. So that's not really like, doesn't make anyone really feel safer. He admitted that he taped them, but he denies that he taped the children and he did offer an apology through his lawyer. Susan brought a civil suit against Glover for invasion of privacy. I was not able to find out how that ended. Susan and the DA, though, they began a quest to pass laws making video voyeurism a crime. So she successfully lobbied for passage of a state law that made video voyeurism a felony. And then September 2003, the House and Senate criminalized video voyeurism before it went to President Bush's desk. And then he codified it. Um, so the Video Voyeurism Prevention Act of 2004 went in. And then do you see my notes? What is that symbol on uh, past code? Oh, I don't I, know. I like copied right and pasted it. I don't know what this code is. Maybe we'll post it on our stories. It and kind you guys of can looks help like two S's overlapping each other a little bit. Like, yeah, with like if a full you know circle. code, let us know. Like, but uh, yeah, it's, I have so, no idea what that is. So it's 18 US code, this symbol, 1801. And this was, um, like I said, it was really hard to search for this because kind of like parental um, alienation syndrome, most of the stuff was defense attorneys helping you beat these charges. It was like rows and rows of Google pages of defense. I watched a bunch of videos of defense attorneys being like, were you found, like, were you, are you charged for video voyeurism? I'm going to help you. And this is unfair. It was just like so what? many attorneys. I mean, defense attorneys got to work. So it was just like, all these people 
Because the laws are tricky. Like there's security cameras and then it's like what you said in your findings where it's like, if it's a place where it's presumed privacy, but how do you prove that? And who owns what? And with the sound on and off, it's like, it is really And then that recent episode of SVU where Liv is getting peeped on when she's in the shower of that motel room, when she's in her bedroom. With the wet, yeah. The towel was a huge moment for us. By the way, I just Googled that symbol. It means section. Never seen it in my life. But Why didn't I just put it in sign. Google? I don't know. That's so funny. Okay. But, I, I guess yeah. I thought you would know it. You are my Google. So it's 18 U.S. Code Section 1801. Oh, okay. Cool. That makes sense. So we have yeah. a new symbol. Section. So, yeah. Like, there were just tons of defense attorneys for this. But in Louisiana, I found that if you are found guilty, you do have to register as a sex offender. Um, ah. And other states have harsher laws, too. So, like, by 2007, 34 states made video voyeurism a felony. But from state to state, it does depend um, if it's a felony or misdemeanor. Like, in some states, videotaping someone in their own bedroom is still a fucking misdemeanor. Like, it, it is really wild. And then the wild. Spokesman Review, which is a paper in Spokane, Spokane, whatever, Washington. I think it's Spokane. We've been there. Arubia and Tacoma. Spokane. I think they say Spokane. Yeah. Sp- okay. Spokane. That, uh, that sounds okay, actually. So that paper says that she, um, that Wilson is one is the one that prompted all these states to impose penalties for videotaping people without their knowledge. And she is pleased by the federal act. But those are like federal... So like the federal laws, they... um, Like if you tape someone on like federal land, parks, like all of that kind of stuff, secret bathrooms and stuff like that. Because I guess there's this federal act overall, but then state to state, they're still all They do their own thing, yeah. Being a lawyer is so complicated. Like I couldn't even find, I just, I just wanted a straightforward list. States, misdemeanor, felony, are you on the list or not? And it's like, you can't find that. Everything is so convoluted and difficult for at least me. Like, I just, whenever I look for laws state to state, it's so complicated. And then it's just like all these articles and all these inclusions and all these pieces. It's pretty wild. The federal act does say that violators um, can have fines up to $100,000 and sent to prison for a year or both. But she also, like Wilson said, that the way the evidence was handled was really fucked up. Like the cops would say to her like, oh, it seems like you've lost some weight from the videos. And they referred to her as a performer on the tape. Oh my God. Yeah. And then my favorite was the New York Post had an article and it was titled Make Peepers Pay. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. I didn't even take anything from the article, but I did. I like, like that. And the case did become a Lifetime TV movie. And that's the other thing that made this research hard because it was all reviews about the movie and information (laughs) about the movie. (laughs) So the movie is Video Voyeur, the Susan Wilson story, um, where Angie Harmon played Susan. Oh my gosh, Law & Order royalty, Angie Harmon. Yeah, a nice, it just sucks. She was, she's a Republican, but. Oh, she is? Boo. Maybe she's changed her ways, but yeah, she's married to like a football player and. Yeah. That that tracks. She's so beautiful. Oh yeah, like in 2013, it's Rizzoli and Isle star Angie Harmon talks homosexuality, politics, and believing in therapy. Okay. 
Great. She goes, I'm a liberal Republican. We actually exist. Call it naivete or stupidity, but I didn't know that unless you're a Democrat, you aren't allowed to talk politics in Hollywood. Oh, she goes, whether you're gay or straight, it doesn't matter. That's nice. Yeah, that's all well and good until her party starts taking away right, the yeah. rights of the gay people, you know? <laughs> the bar um, is like so... Yeah. She goes, I believe in therapy. I don't believe in staying in it for <laughs> life. When you have an issue, talk to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> she, that, why do we care what she says? Because <laughs> she's Rizzoli or maybe she's Isles. I actually have no oh, idea. And then, wait, 2019, Angie Harmon slammed by conservative fans over feminism shirt. You went to the dark side. Yeah, see, you're never going to be good enough for them over there, Angie. If you're not, like, all the way with the Republicans, they're not going to keep you. Yeah, she wrote a shirt. She wore a shirt that said, feminism is for everybody. And, yeah, I believe feminists hate men. They're jealous of men. They wish they were men. <laughs> Just some Twitter okay, to her. Okay. Um, oh thank you God. for telling me about this, though. That's interesting. I didn't know about this case and what a pioneer. Go Susan Wilson. I'm sorry that happened to you, but you made fucking lemonade out of lemons there, making these, making the peepers pay, as they say. But join us for a postmortem because we still don't have any guests. All right. Postmortem time. I guess. I don't know. I, are we all becoming numb to just being videotaped all the time now that we have our No, I would phones? be really upset if I yes. found hidden cameras. I don't think um, the prevalence of cell phones in our lives Absolutely. will prep us for that. Absolutely. And in hotels and anything, just like you do act different when you're by yourself and it is crazy to imagine that someone can see or... And you it's know. just it's just such a crazy example of how like the law never is like up to date with technology and like that there was barely anything this woman could do when this guy was just like invading her privacy in her bedroom for like months. I mean, I don't know how I don't remember how long the well surveillance and I took didn't place. Cover the fame like the most famous case of this that I know is for Aaron Andrews. So Erin Andrews is, was at ESPN, but she's an NFL reporter and, um, you know, has a podcast and a clothing, a sports clothing line and stuff like that. But um, this guy was going to, ever, like, in three separate like hotel rooms, he would get the room next to her and, like, set up cameras and, like, peeping Tom. And there was all these videos of her naked that he put together and put on the internet. But my thing is, how was he able to request to be near her every single time? What a psycho. Yeah, but he did get jail time and fines. And then, like, she was awarded $55 million. So $27 million from him and then Marriott's owed the rest. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So four years later, Andrews won a $55 million lawsuit against Barrett and the companies that manage the Nashville Marriott Hotel where the videos were filmed. Oh, I guess it was just one Marriott every time. But I don't know, like, does she did she always get the same room? How did he find out? And how were, like, how did they... How was a man able to request to be near her and the hotel, there was no red flags, there was nothing? Yeah, because it's like, we check in together and we're like, can you put us close to each other, like, if possible? But like, yeah, if I was just like waiting for you to go upstairs and then going, can I get a room near her? Like, that would be... Or you would request a specific number, but like, how did he get it every time? Did Like, was she just in the presidential suite? It is... It is wild, but she was just on Hoda's podcast recently talking about it, so it's a little bit. Um, Wait, did in you the already say like how he actually took the videos? 
No, he was just, okay, hold on. How, what, did he drill a hole through a window? Like he a- secretly filmed her several times through a peephole while she was naked in her room. So <gasps> I also people. don't know how there's a peephole. But was it, in a conjo- I just can't ima- imagine Aaron Andrews being in a room with conjoined doors. I really yeah. can't. Like, there's no fucking way. You know, <laughs> unless there's like a producer on the other side or people that she worked with. Like, I just can't imagine her being at, but I guess she was just at a Marriott. So I don't, I don't know. Wow. I don't know what ESPN is doing, but yeah, he put this shit online. Um, and he spent two and a half years in jail. Fucking good, man. I guess they've caught, they've caught up now. Yeah, he was the, released in 2012. Tech. But I really remember that. And like something she said, she goes, yeah, people were like the scandal. And she's like, it wasn't a fucking scandal, you know? And just the way it was framed, it's like she truly was a victim of a crime. And the media was trying to portray it as some like salacious scandal. Um, and I know that was annoying for her. Cause like, yeah, a scandal is if, but even if like someone, if, if like you make the video, but even if someone puts it up without your consent, that's a crime. So it's like, I, I don't know. Yeah, like in this interview, she's saying that a friend called her to tell her about it and was like, there's this video. And she goes, no, there's not. Like, I don't do that. I don't send those videos. Like, I don't have, like, that, if somebody did that for me, like, I'm the same. Like, I don't, I just, like, don't take videos like that. So it's like, if someone was like, Kara, there's, like, a pornographic video of you going around, I'd be like, Jared, what did you do? You know, because, like, there's no way, like, this could be, like, you know what I mean? We're just, like, not filming. So... But yeah, and now that I'm like a full football fan, it's like, my feed is so much football. And, <laughs> well, I just saw a thing from stuff. a week ago that Aaron Andrews was having dinner with Tom Brady in Beverly Hills. I don't care about him. I think he's a loser. Well, me neither. I don't care about him either. But I was wondering if that was in your For You page now that you're a football girl. No, I really don't care about him. And when I was talking to Sarah Tiana, who is um, an NFL expert and a comedian, um, so I cornered her and she was telling me great things about Travis. Boots on the ground is that like, he's great. She's never seen him be a creepy red flag in any capacity. They've been out and about and like... He is respectful and kind and she just has only the best things to say about him. And then she was like, oh, he's like, they're going to be like Tom Brady and Giselle. And I go, absolutely not. That is disgusting. They are like Beckham and Posh if we're going to do anything. And she's like, (laughs) oh, whatever. And it's like, I guess if you're like a football fan, you do really love Tom Brady. But he's just such a douche tool to me. Tom Brady's the one that gave up to- tomatoes because they they cause inflammation and like caused a million people to start doing that, like not eating nightshades and stuff. They but- also didn't end up together and Gi- Giselle gave up her job. Giselle quit modeling for like 12 years. You know what I mean? No, the thing about Tom Brady that kills me, and I, I hope we don't have a ton of Tom Brady fans that are going to come for us, but like... It kills me that the women that are that 80 for Brady is based on are real fucking women and he executive produced that movie and appears in that movie and he never met those women. Like as when yeah. that movie came out those women had not met Tom Brady. Maybe they have now, but at that time they had not met and I was like, you can't go meet the women who are obsessed with you that you're making a movie off of their story? Like No, he sucks. I did see, because he is in my feed sometimes, like a younger football player asked advice. He was like, how do I balance, you know, my family and the excitement and parties and all that, but I have a job to do. 
And Tom Brady gave like a two minute kind of speech of like, none of nothing else matters. This is your job. People are relying on you and it's not a party and you, you owe nobody nothing <laughs> in a way. But I'm just saying like compare it, like being like, oh my God, Travis and Taylor will be like Brady and Giselle is to me the most awful thing. Like <laughs> Taylor is not going to stop working and making music. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I think he likes that. And I bet Tom Brady just wanted someone at home. And it, I, I don't know. I just don't like him. Maybe because he was on the winningest most team and stuff. And I think they won because of him. And then yeah. he proved it by going to Tampa Bay. But like, I don't like him. And your yeah. story proves it. He can be a good football player. We just, I mean, that has nothing to do with me. He's um, just not cool. Like Travis, I heard, is magnetic, lights up a room, charismatic, funny. You know, I'm loving those good old time. tweets of his. I'm loving those old <laughs> tweets where he's like, I just watched this squirrel go to town on a nut. Damn. Like he seems <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah. Just more energy. Like, to me, Tom Brady's a robot, and it looks like he had, what is it, the buccal fat removed? The buckle oh, fat? Oh, he is. He looks like a buckle fat king. I don't know if he actually did it, but that's what I think of buckle fat removal is, like, just that, like, sal like sunken-in cheeks, kind of. Because I also understand, to be a champion, you must be a little nuts. You know, you need right. to... It is, you have to be very competitive. You have to work very hard, go above and beyond. Everyone else that's the best in their game. You have to like, I think he lead the team. Like, I get it. It is, you really have to have that spirit that makes you want to do more and more right. and more. But I don't know, Sean White had that and he <sighs> seems cool. He seems like he would have a bowl of Lucky Charms and celebrate his birthday with a beer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just like don't respect someone that can't eat tomatoes because of, you know, the sugar content. Like, I can't. <laughs> it just sickens me. And he, I, I heard he wasn't even nice to his other son. Remember, he had a whole other white, Bridget Monaghan yeah, Bridget or whatever. Monahan. Yeah. I don't know. I truly don't know. I don't, I can't even believe I've talked this long about something I have no idea about, but I know I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, but I love Lisa, Giselle. It's safe to say Lisa will not be planting a tiny surveillance camera inside of Tom Brady's home. Uh, I wouldn't want to spy on anyone or even when people are like, what magical power would you have or superhero power if you could have anything? Anyone that's like mind reading, walking through walls, invisible, those are freaks. That's a red flag. I think invisible could be kind of fun, not because I want to watch people. I think you could like... Do, like, I don't know. I think you could like I think it's a learn flag. things about like, you could like, I don't know. I could find out like who killed John Bonet. Like there's like so many things you could do if you turned invisible. You could, yeah, get, but you could take money. You can teleport. Teleport? Yeah, like teleportation is if you want to be everywhere. Or you can have like intense detectives. I just think those three, like invading, the, the ability to invade people's boundaries if that is your number, you can fly. Like you're picking invisibility over flight. No, you're I would a freak. do flight. I would do flight, but I also think invisible could be good. But I don't think about it as being able to like listen in on people's conversations. I think about it as being able to do whatever I fucking want. No one can see me. What? Okay. Yeah. I I think it's like um, it perks my ears up. Where I'm like, you're not trustworthy. Oh, if okay. you want to be invisible, but it, your your number one is not invisible. No, I do like flight. I yeah, I, I like flight. You're not no, going to pick it. You're I just, just defending did this, it. I just did this at family camp last year where we said, what would your superpower be? And I think I said flight, but then when people said invisible, I was like, good one. I would do that too. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no. 
an invisibility cloak. Um, no, for me, it's full teleportation at all times. Like, I can't even think of anything else that would come near it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because like, you could just pop and be somewhere, yeah? We would never have to get on a plane ever again. Yeah. Can you, you teleport your be, bags? You would be your anywhere you need to, to be. I don't know. I would honestly rather ship my clothes. I don't know what I would do. I didn't think about that. <laughs> I really didn't think about that. But You're I was like, just oh, talking. I teleported to Spain and the airline lost my fucking toiletries. Like that would totally be <laughs> us. Um, I was just talking to someone who said when they fly, they don't pack and they buy stuff when they land. What? Yeah. Yeah, I just did a panel about travel for another podcast and there was just one person on the pod that was like, I don't know, I just think of it as an adventure and I don't really care what happens and I'm like, right, you gotta be. I Like, I'm so opposite of that. Like, I'm planning every everything, you know? Like, I can't think about being lax about travel, but, you know. Um, but while you're there or No, she means like getting flies. to the airport. She doesn't really care about getting there super early. Like, she never checks the bag. Like, you know, it's like, she's kind of like, I can sleep anywhere if I have delays. It's not yes, that big of a deal. Yes, but why is she flying? I mean, comedy. Oh, it's someone that does comedy. Yeah. Yeah, so. there's just more pressure. Like, you can't not get... Like, if <laughs> if your one o'clock flight gets delayed, you miss your show. Yeah. Like, I... You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, when I'm... When I'm coming home, when I'm just... When I have no nothing going on, I'm the most relaxed. I'll <laughs> fucking get a voucher if you need me to switch. Yeah. Like, I don't give a fuck. You're like, you're one of those, if you have flexible travel plans, please see us for 500 Delta bucks or whatever. Well, it would have to be over a thousand and yeah. it would be cash. I follow Erica. Hello. Um, <laughs> she reads the fine print. So I, I would I would try to get the max money. I just, I just feel when there's work involved, that's what adds the pressure. It's yes. not like just being there. Even missing a family holiday or an event doesn't bother me as much. It's like... <laughs> Uh, to miss work is fucked. Well, my husband famously lo lo uh, missed his grandmother's funeral because Delta had a staffing issue and they gave him like 50 bucks voucher or something. It was crazy. Um. Anyway, <sighs> let's... Always back to the flights. Always. We're always bitching about something. I mean, I'm just dreading getting on the planes tomorrow. I am. Oh my God. And I went to pick up my brother at LAX last night, like just kind of forgetting because it was like Monday before Thanksgiving and it was crazy just getting into LAX. Like, crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna leave, like, an hour before I would normally leave. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be good if you do that. I think I'm definitely doing that because even the parking spot's gonna be crazy. I don't yeah. know what I'm gonna do. This is a giant mistake. It really is. <laughs> this is a you do, you went. You've gone to a lot of lengths to avoid eating Thanksgiving at a steakhouse with me and my children. And I get that. You know, I, I feel like <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that makes sense. Let's get into our What Would Sister Peg Do? Because, um, you know, speak, we're mentioning Thanksgiving. We're in the time machine as usual. Um, and for this week's What Would Sister Peg Do? Which is our weekly segment where we direct you towards a resource, a book, a website, an organization, something where you can learn more about what we talked about in today's episode. Nothing really fits in for us on today's episode. And so with the holidays coming up, we wanted to point you guys towards a resource for anyone struggling with like any mental health difficulties during this stressful time of year. It's like a very crazy time of year. There's 
family issues. There's, um, you know, work issues. There's all kinds of stuff creeping up for people. And I feel like the holidays are a time that really taxes our mental health. So we wanted to point you to the 988 uh, Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. The 988 Lifeline provides 24-7 free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or loved ones, and best practices for professionals in the United States. Um, So for more resources, go to 988lifeline.org. You can chat with the 988 Lifeline there. And if you or someone you know is having a crisis, call 988. Amazing. Um, Yeah, take care of yourselves this holiday season. And next week, we'll be doing A Misunderstanding, Season 17, Episode 2. Can't wait. You're all the best. XOXO forever. See you next week. Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien, and our associate producer, Christina Chamberlain. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Daniel Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.